Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is Saturday, November the 25th, 2023. It is the 33rd Saturday in Ordinary Time. We're getting close to the end here. We're uh, getting ready to celebrate the Feast of uh, Christ the King. And today is also the optional memorial of St. Catherine of Alexandria, Virgin and Martyr. Today's reading is from the Gospel according to St. Luke. Some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, came forward and put this question to Jesus, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, if someone's brother dies leaving a wife but no child, his brother must take the wife and raise up descendants for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married a woman but died childless. The second and the third married her, and likewise all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. Now at the resurrection, whose wife will that woman be? For all seven had been married to her. Jesus said to them, the children of this age marry and remarry. But those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. They can no longer die, for they are like angels. And they are the children of God, because they are the ones who will rise. That the dead will rise, even Moses made known in the passage about the bush when he called Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he is not God of the dead, but of the living." for to him all are alive. Some of the scribes said in reply, Teacher, you have answered well. And they no longer dared to ask him anything. It's funny, Jesus, I always say this, Jesus is so smart. (laughs) He brings things up that nobody would ever think of on their own. That God is the God of the living because he says, I am the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, they must be alive. If he's saying, I am their God, speaking of them as if they are still living, because they are, the dead will rise. So there are those who deny it, but generally the mainstream opinion in Judaism and Christianity is the resurrection. Well, in Christianity, that's the heart of our religion. The resurrection of Jesus leads to the resurrection of all of us, God willing, if we follow him. And then this issue of whose husband will, who, who's, <laughs> who will be the husband of this woman? Who's, whose wife will she be? Um, there have been times when I've been involved with weddings, and it was either this reading or the one from uh, the book of Tobit where a similar thing happens. And the, they always laugh when I, when I talk about this reading that, yeah, you know, the one guy married her and he died. Another married her, he died. You know, after three or four, you'd think that they would have enough common sense to say, I'm not marrying that woman. <laughs> I'm not going to die like all my brothers. She's got the kiss of death. Anyway, all joking aside, this reading, among many others, talks about, well, talks about heaven But also, just once again, Jesus is always using this marital image to talk about our faith because, in the words of the theology of the body, God wants to marry us. This is from Genesis to Revelation, all through the Bible. God is the groom. We are the bride. And so Jesus really drives it home here very strongly. That marriage here on earth is a sacrament. It's beautiful. It's good. It has so much merit and value. It's the primordial sacrament, the original sacrament. It was not destroyed by sin. It's actually a building block of the other sacraments. 
there's there's so much to it and I wasn't going to talk about that today but marriage is great marriage is an image it's a symbol of the bigger picture and that is God wants to marry us and Jesus says it here very plainly that we are called to be the spouse of almighty God when you think about the advice that we give to couples preparing for marriage Very often they don't follow this advice, and we have a very high divorce rate today. But one of the key points of advice that we give to couples preparing for marriage is that your spouse has to come first. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's not a whole lot when we're preparing couples. You know, we have a couple sessions. There might be a retreat or a pre-cana. There's not a whole lot that we're giving these people. And so much of what we are giving them, they already have. They already know. Some of them are, they've already been living together and blah, blah, blah. They, they have parents that are married. They have siblings that are married. They have friends that are married. Um, and everybody's been living together for the most part, you know, because of the sinful state of our culture today. But, when we talk about some of the nitty-gritty uh, points of advice, little nitty-gritty details of what will make a marriage succeed versus fail, what are the things that happen, what are the challenges, it's one of the things we emphasize more than anything, your spouse must come first. It doesn't mean you neglect your children. It means you present a united front to your children. You love the children because, you know, what's the expression, a... a um, a rope, you know, if you have a bunch of strings, you know, they have a certain strength to them if they're all separate. But when you intertwine those strings, when you wrap them all together there, it's, it's much more, it's stronger than the sum of its parts. I don't know. There's a lot of different expressions that say the same thing, but you get what I'm saying in a marriage, when the couple is united, they're so much stronger than if you just add up the individual strength of the spouse's. So they're so much better at raising their kids when they're a united front. They're so much better at doing all the things they have to do and meeting all the challenges they have to meet. And so there's a focus on the spouse. In heaven, our joy, your joy, my joy, God willing, we all get there. In heaven, everything is going to be about seeing God face to face, being with the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's going to be everything. That's going to be your joy, your your peace, your, your overflowing with love, everything, your satisfaction, that your confidence, you're your just being taken care of, being satisfied. Everything is going to be about seeing God face to face. And then all the other things that are going to be a joy for us in heaven are secondary. They flow from that. Our relationships with others, they flow from that. It's not going to be like, oh, I'm so glad to be with my spouse again. Oh, and by the way, there's God off to the side. No. And, then, you know, people will say, well, is, is that, you know, if I'm not married in heaven, does that mean I'm going to be like distant from my spouse or something? Am I, we're we not going to be able to be together? No, it's the opposite, really. Because when you're with God face to face and you just have the fullness of, you're complete, you know, you you have everything you're supposed to have, you're you're fully overwhelmed with love, with joy, with peace, but also all your faculties are heightened, your mind, your thoughts, everything, your abilities. Um, you're going to be closer to your spouse in heaven than you ever were on earth, but you're also going to be that close with everybody else. So yeah, will you be with your spouse forever and ever if you both get to heaven? Yes, but so much better, but even more so with God. 
If you think your wife is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, the most beautiful creature, the loveliest, the most wonderful person, I mean, I don't know, some people feel that way about their spouses. Um, If that's your greatest joy, if that's the greatest beauty you've ever seen, your spouse, guess what? She's going to be even more beautiful in heaven, but she's going to look like a tiny little spider in comparison with Almighty God, right? I don't mean to in any way disrespect your wife, but compared to God, she's going to be nothing. God is infinitely greater. God is the source of beauty. Anyway, so it's something to get excited about. It's something to work towards because also in this life, that's how it's supposed to be. People will say, and I've heard this from numerous people in the faith, that when they started to put God first and not their spouse, I know I just said put your spouse first. That's ahead of everybody else because it's your vocation. Your primary vocation if you're married is to love your spouse. But what is our true primary vocation? It's to love God first. The spouse points us to God. The spouse is an image. You know, spousal analogy points us to the heavenly, you know, bride and groom analogy. But people realize when they put God first, their marriage gets even better. It's not about neglecting your spouse to pray, but rather you are so much better at loving your spouse the more you pray. So the way it works in heaven is also the way it works here on earth. I just thought a great uh, book to read is Three to Get Married, Fulton Sheen. There's a lot of good books about there, this kind of thing, though. And Christopher West, Theology of the Body Books, and Jason Everett is another great author. Um, a lot of great authors on these things. I think Scott Hahn wrote a book though on this, and he's fantastic. Um, So if we want to get ready for heaven, if we want to prepare for the life of blessedness, we have to get married in our hearts right now. Get married to Almighty God. How do we do that? Well, did you ever wonder why a baby wears a white garment, sort of a wedding garment, as the Bible talks about all the time? Did you ever wonder why little girls on their first communion day wear a bridal gown? You ever wonder why a little boy on his first communion day wears like a a fancy suit? Very often it's a white suit or at least a white tie. I remember I had a blue suit, but I wore a, a white tie with it. And so these are all bridal images. We have to marry God. We have to constantly work on that relationship with God and then everything else gets better. We have to realize I am called to marry almighty God. And it's actually a physical bond. It's not just spiritual because of the Eucharist. So religious people in this life, you know, we say, and this is coming straight from Pope John Paul's Theology of the Body, we might say that marriage is a great sacrament. Marriage is wonderful. Everything I just said, marriage is the image of the wedding banquet of the Lamb. However, there is something greater than marriage here on earth, and that's the marriage in heaven, which we are all called to. So what about religious? Why do people give up marriage if marriage is so great? Why do people choose a celibate life? Why does God call them to it? Matthew 19, Jesus puts out a general call to it. In Matthew 19, as well as in um, uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.7, there is a call, and St. Paul says this is a happier life. So one thing I want to say, and this is Pope John Paul saying it, it's true, marriage points to the wedding banquet of the Lamb, but celibacy chosen for the kingdom of heaven, a celibate life, is a already participating in the marriage feast of the Lamb, the marriage feast of heaven. It doesn't mean it's already heaven here on earth, um, although there are elements of heaven because of the closeness of the relationship with God that that allows, 
but it's a pointing to it and it's an already living it. So once again, just like a little girl wears a bridal gown, women who are preparing to be, and I have a friend that just became a consecrated virgin. She wore a white wedding dress when she made her vows. Women that become religious sisters, you know, it's basically putting on a wedding dress. It was just their habit when they take their vows. I think of, um, I mean, there's so many examples. We celebrate St. Catherine of Alexandria today. I don't know a ton about her. I have a great love for St. Catherine of Siena. And, you know, she, in her mystical writings, talking about her visions of Jesus that were later confirmed and approved by the church, she said Jesus gave her a wedding ring. She wore an invisible wedding ring, indicating that God indicated to her how much he loved her and how he wanted to espouse her. Uh, I think in my own life, I had an assignment years ago where I was visiting the religious sisters in Lodi in North Jersey. And these were, um, I was visiting the infirmary and I was spending time with the sisters and I would pray with them. And man, these sisters were in their eighties and nineties. Some of them were even in their hundreds and they had given their whole life to God. And they were just so amazing. They were just mystical people, brides of Christ that had given their whole life to Christ. And it was such a gift, such a joy to be with them. And I just remember saying to these sisters, this is one example of many. I would say, sister, I, and I'm in college at the time. I would say, I have a big exam today and I didn't study enough and I'm really worried about it. Can you pray that I do well on my exam? And I'm thinking like, man, I'm barely going to pass this thing because I didn't study enough. Whenever I asked the nuns to pray for me, I didn't just get 100. I got 107 because uh, <laughs> they prayed. Basically, I'd get some extra credit in addition to the fact that I aced the thing. And it was always I fully I would go back and tell them, oh, my goodness, your prayers. I did so well on those tests. I tried my best on my own. But then I had a bride of Christ, a true committed bride of Christ praying for me. And this is how the church works. We have those who marry Almighty God and who marry the church, and they are there at the service of the rest of us. And there's a lot of power in that. There's a great example in that. I'm not saying that they're all perfect and that they all do a perfect job, but we in the church live at the service of one another, married couples, single people, religious, and we all live our spousal I forget what Pope John Paul called it, but, you know, each of us is called to be a spouse. I mean, he would talk about the feminine genius, the masculine genius, but we are called to be a spouse. We are called to be a mother and or father. We are called to live the fullness of our masculinity or femininity. And this enables us to, um, you know, to be who we are and make the world a better place, make the church a better place. And of course, we turn to Our Lady as the ultimate example of this. She is the daughter of the father the mother of the son, the spouse of the Holy Spirit. And it's in her example of being the spouse and being the mother of the church that all other uh, vocations take their inspiration from, all married people, her and St. Joseph, as well as all celibate people, because Mary was perpetually a virgin. So let's pray for each other today and hope you have a great day. God bless you.